Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we'll be speaking with Alan Stein. Now, Alan is a world-renowned basketball performance coach, corporate speaker, executive leadership coach, podcast host, and social media influencer. He has spent the past 15 years working with the highest performing basketball players on the planet, including NBA superstar Kevin Durant and the number one pick in the 2017 NBA draft, Markel Fultz. Alan now teaches organizations how to utilize the same strategies in business that elite basketball players and teams use to perform at a world-class level. He is passionate about developing genuine leadership, authentic team cohesion, and true mental toughness. He works relentlessly to educate and inspire people to take immediate action to improve their mindset, habits, happiness, and success. This is part one of a two-part interview. Welcome, Alan Stein. How are you? I am fantastic. Great. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm always ready. Awesome. So, Alan, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Absolutely. I've been around and immersed in leadership my entire life. Both of my parents were in elementary education. My mom was a first grade teacher and my father was a principal, Mm -hmm. obviously both leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And I embraced sports at a very early age. So kindergarten and first grade, I started playing a multitude of sports and certainly was, you know, turned on to different coaches and different adults that poured into me and showed me what it meant to be a leader. I was very fortunate to continue playing sports in high school and even through college. Again, all part of the leadership circle. And then when I graduated college, I started my own business training athletes and certainly was thrown into the fire of leadership of being able to run my own business and lead players and workouts and teams and programs. And then as I continued through that journey, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have been around many of basketball's best coaches. And those Mm. folks have all been kind enough to pour into me and to share with me and mentor me on what's made them such effective and influential leaders. And I look at leadership kind of like the game of golf. I'm not a golfer, but all of my friends are. And they all say that golf is not something that you can master. It's always a work in progress that no matter how good of a golfer you are, you can always get a little bit better. And -hmm. no matter how good of a golfer you are, you're occasionally going to hit bad shots. You're occasionally Mm going to have a bad round and even a bad day. And I look at leadership in the same way Mm -hmm. that you never arrive as a leader. It's an evolving process. And whenever the sand in my hourglass runs out and my time on this earth is done, I mean, I'm going to be continuing to grow as a leader all the way up until that day. Mm -hmm. And I think that viewpoint of being a lifelong learner and knowing that you never arrive to a finish line of being a leader 
is extremely important to one's growth and development. And I completely agree. I mean, when you stop learning, it's when you die. It's when you're done. Absolutely. Okay. So what is it that you're doing now? So I've spent the past 15 years as a basketball performance coach, which most people know as a strength and conditioning coach. So I helped primarily youth and high school age players run faster and jump higher. And then I also taught coaches how to train their players with purpose and safely. About a year ago, I decided to take my message and spread it to areas outside of the game of basketball. So now I do corporate speaking and workshops and some executive coaching taking the lessons that I've learned through basketball and applying them to different settings and different organizations. And I speak on leadership, but also talk about teamwork and culture, what the best of the best do during unseen hours and how to develop positive and winning habits. Because I found unequivocally that the characteristics that lead to being successful on the court are identical to the characteristics needed to be successful in any area of our lives. And I mean, I've never even had a corporate job, so I've never run a company per se from a corporate standpoint. I know that these pillars translate because I have many friends and colleagues and mentors who have straddled both spaces. And it's invigorating to see how much parallel there is between sport and business. Mm, And see, Alan, most of our listeners are in education. Um, uh, and love it. What drew you to this podcast? Having parents in elementary education, I've always had such a tremendous respect for teachers and coaches. I've always found that, generally speaking, teachers and coaches are some of the most altruistic human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. That They certainly don't do it for money. And if you're a teacher right. listening to this, I'm sure you'll chuckle. They do it because they care about either the subject that they're teaching or the sport that they're coaching. They care about having a positive influence over young people, which is something that's really important to me. You know, they care about their community. They care about the future. I mean, I know it's very cliche to say, but it's so true. Teachers and coaches are responsible for molding our future. I mean, not only in this country, but in the world and them pouring in their heart and their soul and their love and their education and their expertise That's what's going to form the leaders of tomorrow. And I've always felt that as a leader, it's our job, it's our responsibility, and it needs to be our commitment to produce other leaders. That's what we should be doing. Right. And we're really grateful that you did reach out to us because it just shows exactly what you're talking about, how you value education, how you value the teachers and the coaches. And I'm a strong believer that we can learn from all disciplines. So when you reached out to me and I saw what you did, I was very encouraged that you chose to pour into our listeners. So thank you so much for that. No, it's my pleasure. I mean, I love what you're doing. I love the platform that you've built. I love the message and the vision that you have. And I always look at these opportunities as a chance to share what it is that I'm passionate about. And anytime I get an opportunity to share something that means a lot to me, I'm very grateful for that. And again, if a listener were to pick up one or two things from this episode that would have a positive impact in their life, then I felt like I've done my job, you've done your job, and certainly they've done their job by making the time to listen. And I don't take that lightly. We live in a world where we're bombarded with distractions 24-7. And our time and our attention, I mean, that's our number one resource and our number one currency. And we all have to be very protective of our time because it's a resource that once it's gone, it's gone. gone. And anyone that's willing to invest their time Mm -hmm. listening to you and I talk about leadership, I take that very seriously and I'm extremely appreciative of it. Great. Now, Alan, how would you describe your leadership style? 
I'm a doer and I've never had a problem being vocal. I've been around leaders that certainly for them talking a lot is challenging, that they prefer to lead by example. And I'd like to believe that I can straddle both. I do my best to lead by example. Certainly I've stepped on a couple landmines and made a few mistakes uh, Mm -hmm. and done some things that I probably shouldn't have done from a leadership standpoint. But I'm at the point now where I view those as learning experiences and that I have the humility to know that I don't have all of the answers. And as I said in the beginning of our chat, that I'm always going to be a work in progress. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the oldest adage to success, which is basically common sense is, do more of what works, do less of what doesn't. And I think that's extremely important as a leader that whoever's following me, it doesn't matter if it's someone following me on social media that I've never met, or if it's a player on a basketball team that I'm the performance coach to, or if it's a corporate organization that I'm going to speak to, whoever that group is, when I see and get the feedback and be very open to their feedback, the stuff that's working and resonating and enriching their lives, I continue to do more of that and double down. The things that maybe don't resonate or aren't working, then I do my best to reduce or eliminate that. So I'm constantly, quote unquote, in the lab and in the workshop refining my leadership skills. I do my best to stay extremely open, as you just mentioned so perfectly, Mm -hmm. to learn from other disciplines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though I've spent most of my life in a basketball bubble, I've really stepped outside of that to learn from educators, to learn from folks with military backgrounds, to learn from folks in a variety of different disciplines that are different than mine. And to me, the best part of that is I'm finding that most of the foundational principles of leadership they're the same, no matter who I'm talking to. If I'm mm-hmm. talking to a teacher, I'm talking to a lieutenant in the army, I'm talking to a high school basketball coach, it doesn't matter that the foundational principles are very, very similar. And I that actually is something I really embrace and enjoy. Yeah. And as I listen to you speak, I'm thinking of Dr. John Maxwell, who really believes that you can't lead if you don't know how to coach. So there's a strong connection between coaching and leadership. Tell us a bit about that from your perspective. Sure. And I'll even connect the dots one more time. Folks have always asked me to define the word coach. And for me personally, as I internalize it, it's almost impossible for me to define the word coach without using the word teacher and Mm -hmm. without using the word leader. I mean, really, I consider those in some way, shape, or form, the three of those are synonyms. And I'm not big on labels, but if you made me call myself something, just one word, I would probably pick the word coach. But because I consider that word synonymous with teacher and synonymous with leader, I'd also like to believe that I'm both of those things as well. And I think a lot of folks' connotation when they hear the word coach, they always relegate it to sport. And certainly that's where that word is so renowned. But there's coaches in everything. And now that I'm actually entering the corporate space in the business world, I'm finding that the best folks in business, they all have coaches. They have life coaches, they have sales coaches. They, I mean, anyone that wants to get better at any aspect of their life and takes it seriously will find a coach to help them do that. And it doesn't matter if you want to get better at math, get better at chess, get better at basketball, or get better at running your business. There's someone out there that has information and expertise that can help you get there quicker, more efficiently than you can on your own. And that's what coaches do. And when you take the best golfers and the best tennis players, they all have coaches. And those folks are the best in the world at what they do, and they still choose to have a coach because the coach can help them get better. And to me, 
obviously somebody like John C. Maxwell is a godfather of leadership. You know, I'm only 41 years old. He's been leading longer than I've been breathing. So I'd be a fool not to try to learn from him and consume his work and to take the stuff that he has proven works and integrate that in and filter it through and put it into my own philosophies and methodologies. So again, from a leadership standpoint, there's so many different folks that we can learn from. And if you view yourself and your purpose, whether you're a teacher, a coach, or a leader, kind of look at those three as rather synonymous. I think that's extremely helpful to do. Right. I've been a student of leadership for years. And the most effective leaders I know have coaches. So you're right on when you speak to the connection between these two. So thank you so much for that. No, absolutely. Um, Here's a quick message to help you start 2018 strong. I'm launching new mastermind groups in January 2018 that will help you grow your influence, whether you're an educator, administrator, or just hungry to grow. Take advantage of our early bird registration and sign up for a group that fits your schedule. Go to masterleadership.org and select masterminds. Now, Alan, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Oh, wow. There's so many different ones. I'm a quote nerd. uh, (laughs) And I don't know that it necessarily speaks right to leadership, but it's certainly a mantra that I live by. And that's, if you do the things others don't do, you'll have the things others don't have. The reason I love that quote is you can also flip the words around and instead of using don't, Mm -hmm. you can use won't, which is usually more accurate. Do the things others won't do, and you'll have the things others won't have. And I remember when I first heard that quote and I was in my 20s, I immediately relegated that to material items, that if you do things other people don't do, you'll make a lot of money. You'll have a big house. You'll have a nice car. You'll have material items because that's where my semi-evolved brain was at the time. And now that I'm older, I realize that it's a lot broader than that, that If you do things other people don't do, you'll have fulfilling relationships. You'll have work that is meaningful and purposeful. You'll have an influence over other people's lives. You'll have a very high quality of life. The people in your inner circle, your family and your friends, you'll have a very deep emotional connection with them. And all of those things take work and they take sacrifice. So in order to have those types of things, you have to do things that most people don't do. And by nature, I'm an extremely positive and optimistic person. I try not to be cynical anytime I can, but it is my belief that a good portion of the human population has not found their purpose, does not do work that they feel is meaningful. Mm -hmm. They don't have very strong connected relationships, whether that's with their spouse or with their children. They haven't achieved things that they believe they're capable of. And I find that those are roadblocks. And really the reason of those roadblocks, there's nothing magical about it. The highest performers and the highest achievers and the happiest and most successful people on the planet, they stick to the basics and they stick to the basics consistently. And I find that most people do not do that, that we live in a world that wants us to skip steps, that wants us to circumvent the process, that wants us to chase what's hot and what's flashy and what's sexy and ignore Mm -hmm. what's basic. And the keys to all of these different things are very, very basic principles that you, me, or any one of your listeners are capable of doing. That's interesting, because I know for me, I have to set my mind every single day. I'm typically optimistic, but there are times there are days that are harder than others. And so I really guard myself by doing something every day that helps me. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? 
Well, I love the way that you frame that. And that's perfect. And sounds you're very intentional and purposeful. Mm-hmm. You know, a few things that I've learned and to be quite transparent, I mean, I went through a couple of years of counseling and some therapy to help get me out of some of these emotional ruts and to improve my self-awareness. One thing I've learned is I embrace my full palette of emotions. While I am typically an extremely happy, energetic, upbeat, positive guy, mm-hmm. I'm not a robot. I have times where I'm sad. I have times where I'm disappointed. I have times where I'm frustrated. And I've learned that those emotions are just as important to the makeup of who I am as the positive ones. So I don't suppress them. I don't push them away. I allow myself and give myself permission to feel those things. And the best part is they usually pass pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to be frustrated and disappointed when something doesn't work out. Now, you don't want to live in that space forever because that will just create this circular effect that you'll slowly become much more negative and pessimistic. But it's okay to have those feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I do, uh, and this is a time audit. And this one's extremely valuable to one's quality of life. No, hold on a second. You said time audit? A time audit. And I do this (laughs) probably once a month. And here's all you need to do. Okay. Take a piece of paper and fold it in half. And it can be lengthwise, widthwise, whatever. On one half, write down five or six things that truly make you happy, that give you fulfillment. I'm not talking about pleasure. I'm not saying eating a chocolate chip cookie. I'm talking about things that really give you fulfillment. Maybe it's talking to your mother on the phone, or maybe it's going out to coffee with a friend from high school, or maybe it's having 30 minutes and reading a book in the quiet, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be, write down the things that actually give you happiness and fulfillment. And then on the other half of the piece of paper, write down what you do every single day. I mean, literally from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, write down what you do. And then to complete the time audit, just compare the two lists. Mm-hmm. And then adjust accordingly. If you're spending the vast majority of your day not doing the things that really give you happiness and fulfillment, there's a disconnect there. There's a problem. I mean, I'm not a licensed psychologist, but I can pinpoint why you're not happy. You're right. not doing the things that make you happy. And I don't say that like we live in this fantasy world, this panacea where every day is roses and puppy dogs and ice cream. And from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you just do things that make you happy. No, nothing could be further from the truth. But if you really love sitting and reading a good book for 30 minutes, make the time to do that. If you get a lot of fulfillment from having a a weekly call with your mom or something like that, then make the time to do that. We all have more control over our time than we'd like to believe. I mean, I know that we're all busy. We have full plates. We juggle a lot of things and we wear a lot of hats. And there's probably not a person listening to this that if they could snap their fingers and have 28 hours in a day, they'd want to do that. And they feel like they could get everything done. But 24 hours is still a lot of time. And Mm -hmm. you and I have never met in person. We're just getting acquainted. But one thing I already know for sure, you get 24 hours in a day (laughs) and I I get 24 hours in a day. That unites all of us. And what you choose to do with your 24 hours and what I choose to do with my 24 hours will dictate our happiness and our success and our fulfillment moving forward. So we need to be very intentional about those things. And if you do that time audit and you make little subtle changes, you'll see a tremendous amount of change to your happiness and fulfillment. And I've always believed that when you're happier and you're fulfilled and you feel like you're doing meaningful work, then you start to become the best version of yourself. And the only way to be an effective leader, to be an effective teacher, or to be an effective coach is to be the best version of yourself possible. If I'm showing up to teach science today, it's in my best interest 
to be happier and more fulfilled. It's in my best interest to take care of my health and my emotional wellness, to get everything firing away so that I can pour into those students to the best of my ability. And the same would be true if I was leading a group in the military or if I'm coaching a basketball team. And, mm-hmm. and lots of times I think folks, they get it backwards. They think that when you carve out time for yourself to develop, to grow, and to be happy, that you're being selfish. And that is absolutely positively incorrect. In fact, it's selfless to pour into yourself because now you're becoming the best version possible. And when you do that, you'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better leader. So taking time to pour into your own development and your own happiness is essential to being the best version of yourself. And being the best version of yourself is essential to being the best leader that you're capable of. Right. And Alan, I completely agree that you do need to pour into yourself for the purpose of serving other people. And that's extremely important, especially in the field of education, because we're constantly meeting needs, we're constantly serving. And what tends to happen is that we neglect ourselves. So I really appreciate this. Now, let me just kind of look at this time audit a little bit. Do you do this on a daily basis? I don't. I usually do it on a monthly basis, uh, sometimes even on a quarterly basis. Really, I'm at a point now where I do it by need. If I ever find that my life's getting a little fuzzy and I need to refocus the lens, that's what I go back to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, now I've built these systems into my life that I do stuff every day that makes me happy. You know, I have a very full day today, but I carved out enough time to go grab a quick workout and then swing over to the local Whole Foods and get a smoothie and a healthy breakfast. And sit and people watch. It's really nice outside today here in the <laughs> You DC people area. watch too. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you know what? That 45 minutes helped me recharge my battery right. so that I could come and hopefully be the best version of myself for your listeners on this podcast today. Mm-hmm. So in essence, where it appears that I was doing something for myself as a servant leader, I was actually doing that for you and your audience. And right. you know, as you just mentioned so accurately, teachers spend their entire day filling other people's buckets and serving other people. And that gas tank is going to get empty. And I know there's probably not a teacher listening that hasn't on some level experienced a little burnout at some Mm -hmm. point. I mean, I know through coaching, I experienced it a few different times. And the best way to continue to fill other people's buckets is to be very intentional and purpose and fill your own. And that mind shift of making sure that people understand that is not selfish that is selfless. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'll also say this about the audit. You could do one from a work standpoint as well. I don't necessarily know that this would work as well in the teaching vocation as it would in a corporate culture. But I talk to folks on the corporate level all the time and say, you're part of this organization, this company. What are the three things that you need to do to best fulfill your role for this company to be successful? And obviously, the three things that the CEO needs to do are going to be different than maybe a secretary. Everyone's three things are going to be different. But what are the three things that you personally need to do to make this team the best it's capable of? Not the things you want to do, not the things you feel like doing, not the things that are convenient, but what are the three things that everyone else in this organization needs you to do in order for this team to be successful? And that's what they write down on one side. And then I write down, okay, if you're in the office from nine to five every day, write down everything you do. And then Mm -hmm. we do the same time audit. If someone on a team is not spending 80 to 90% of their time focused and intentional on the three things that they need to do for the team to be successful, then they're not being as productive as possible. They're not being as efficient as possible. And I say this with love and grace and respect. 
they're actually being a selfish teammate. They're choosing to drain their time doing what they want to do instead of what the team needs them to do. And that's a problem. So you can do these time audits from a personal standpoint. You can do these time audits from a professional standpoint. You know, as kind of my own boss and a solopreneur, I have to do that check regularly because I have to make sure that I'm spending my time on revenue generating activities, that if I just spend my entire time doing stuff that's not actually leading to revenue as a private business owner, I'm going to be out of business. So I need to make sure that every single day I'm focused on doing something that will actually lead to some revenue for my business. And yeah, I find Mm -hmm. these audits are extremely helpful in getting the clarity that you need on what you should be doing every single day. And I see that this can absolutely work in education, so I really appreciate it. So as a coach, do you find that it's important to have a coach speak into your life? Because even though we want to be the best version of ourselves, sometimes we don't see what that looks like. Oh, you're so accurate. A good friend of mine named Michael Burt, Coach Burt, he goes by. He was a former basketball coach and is now in the corporate world. And he's really been a great friend and mentor to me. He says, you can't see the picture when you're inside the frame. And that's exactly what you just said right there. So yes, Mm -hmm. everybody needs coaches. Everybody needs mentors in an inner circle. I have a couple of different coaches. I mean, I have a coach that helps me with my writing. I have a coach that helps me with my speaking. So the delivery side, I have a coach that helps me on the selling side, on being able to position what it is that I do and who that I want to do it for. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I have multiple coaches right now. And then I also have a good handful of trusted mentors. And Mm -hmm. one thing I think is extremely important from a mentor standpoint, at least for me, anytime I heard the word mentor, I always envisioned someone 20 or 30 years older than me that's sitting in their rocking chair telling me stories of when they were my age. And a mentor is anyone that has the expertise they can pour into you to make you better. So Mm -hmm. ironically, I have a couple of mentors that are 10 years younger than me because Mm -hmm. their level of expertise, even though they're younger than me, is higher than mine is in that specific area and they pour into me. Mm -hmm. And then outside of my mentors, then I also have a very tight inner circle of people that I truly trust and that I'm constantly asking them to tell me the things that I need to hear, not the things that I want to hear. I mean, I have very high confidence. I have very high self-worth. I have an appropriately strong ego. So I don't need people to tell me the things that I'm doing well. I need Mm -hmm. people to hold me accountable and keep me in check for the things that I don't. And to me, that's what a true friend and a true inner circle and a true coach person will do is to tell you the things that you need to hear not the things that you want to hear. And to find those people is tough. Mm -hmm. And I've always defined that as someone that cares. If you care enough about me and my happiness and my fulfillment and my success to tell me something right now that I know is going to be really hard for you to tell me and that because I'm a human being and not a robot, I might even get a little bit defensive about, that's what it's all about. That's true connection. But that requires vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That requires me having the humility to say, look, I don't have all of the answers and I appreciate the folks that care enough to pour into me and to help me see things that I can't see for myself. Because as you just mentioned so perfectly, I can only see the world through my own lens. I mean, I'm walking around the way I see things is the only way I see them and everyone else will see them different and have a different perspective. And I really respect and appreciate the people that care enough to tell me those things. And it's hard to find those people Mm because most people... They consider that confrontation and, you know, they want to be overly positive and just tell you the good stuff. And while having positive, uplifting, supportive people in your life is very, very important, 
It's equally important to have people that tell you the truth. Tune in next week to hear part two of my interview with Alan Stein. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.